Let's give this praise band a round of applause for doing such a great job. I see you cross worlds mixing it up a little bit. That's all right. I like it. <laughs> Amen. It's certainly indeed an honor to be here today to be able to share uh, God's word with God's people. Uh, I never take it for granted. Um, as I've been listening to Steve and Pastor Eddie uh, over the last several months talk about their involvement with Revive Sullivan um, and bringing churches and denominations together uh, like they haven't seen before. Um, there were a few of you who came over to the unity service in Terre Haute uh, the, other, the other Sunday, and we appreciate that. God is doing something in the body of Christ. And um, <clears throat> we need to get ready for it. Because, I, you know, we really, you know, we celebrate the fact that um, the churches in Sullivan are coming together and, and hearing Pastor Eddie said that, you know, he didn't even believe or think that that would ever happen. Um, but the fact that it's happening now, now, after all of these years, that all of these churches who have been together in this community, but God is causing uh, folk to come together now. There has to be a reason that God is moving uh, in such a way, not only in Sullivan and in Terre Haute, but across the country. God wants the body of Christ to come together in unity. Amen. That's right. now, now, let me say this. Let me say this. Um, <clears throat> crossroads, I, I, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for your acceptance and your love uh, that you have extended to me and my wife since we have been here. I, I sense a genuine love of fellowship and kinship. Um, that is rare in the body of Christ. And so I thank you for that. Because I'm not here by accident. I'm here by divine appointment, on divine assignment. God has brought me to this place in this community, and I thank him for that. Let us pray. Oh, gracious and all-wise God, the preaching hour has arrived for your word to be declared over your people. Father, we know you're here. We can sense your presence in this place. I pray that you would move on hearts and minds this morning that they might be able to receive of you. Uh, in this hour, this desperate hour that you are calling the church to come together in unity. Uh, Father, I pray that we are receiving and understanding your message. And Father, I pray that there is if there is someone here this morning um, that does not know you in the pardons of their sin, I pray that something is said, spoken, or sung this morning that might move on the main altars of their heart, that they might come and ask the question, what must I do to be saved? And so, Father, I would ask you uh, to save me from myself and allow your spirit to speak and use me in a mighty way to declare your word to your people. I pray that the words of my mouth are found acceptable in thy sight, O oh my Lord, my strength and redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be coming out of the second Chronicles, chapter 7, starting with the 16th verse, and then I will skip down to verse 19. 
For I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored and I will always watch over it. For it is clear, for it is dear to my heart. But if you, and I'm skipping out of 19, but if you and your descendants abandon me and disobey the decrees and commandments I have given you, if you serve and worship other gods, then I will uproot the people from this land that I had given them, and I will reject this temple that I have made holy to honor my name. I will make an object of mockery and ridicule among the nations. And though this temple is impressive now, all who pass by will be appalled. They will ask, why did the Lord do such a terrible thing to this land and to this temple? And the answer will be because his people abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt. And they worshiped gods instead, of, and instead and bowed down to them. That is why he has brought all of these disasters on them. The church. What is it? When people speak of the church community, they usually think of it and talk about it in general terms of meaning Christians. The term may reference to a formal network of denominations, um, but often it simply alludes to a formal group of believers. The church can also be used and viewed biblically. The Bible original word for the church was ekklesia. In the Greek, it means assembling or gathering. The word took on a theological meaning for all Christians. And in some contexts, when a local gathering of believers in other places come together, um, it refers to a network of church organizations and Christians uh, when they participate jointly in hosting uh, several church events like has happened here in Sullivan with Revive Sullivan in, a couple of weeks ago in Terre Haute, Indiana. Uh, when several groups come together to worship, it is considered an activity of the Christian church. The view, this view in this way is probably the most accurate because it includes the greatest number of people. However, it is often, it is rather a definition that is subjective. The church is made up of Charismatics, Methodists, Episcopalians, Baptists, Presbyterians make up the church community. And when all of these denominations band together, to issue a public statement, it is usually dealing with social issues like abortion, poverty, homelessness, but sadly, this rarely ever happens. The church seems to be silent in the faces of issues that trouble our nation. Today, issues such as race, I mean, my wife was traveling back from Michigan a couple of weeks ago, and over I-69, there was a Klan rally flags and full garb over the highway. There's a racial division in this country. There's economic disparities. There's an achievement gap among student populations and bullying. Sunday morning is still the most segregated hour in America. 
The time in which we live seems to be crying out more than ever in our history for the church to come together in unity to address the problems of our nation through the power of prayer and having a national voice. We, the church, seem to be waiting on others to come alongside of us like political leaders and others to help us make a change in the world. But church, that power lies within the church and within the faith community. The power of prayer and unity can literally change the world we live in. I'm in the Bible, 2 Chronicles, same chapter, 14th verse. Here it is. It says this. Then if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, pray, and seek my faith and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will restore their lands. That's the Bible. The phrase, my people who are called by my name, its first application was to the children of the Israelites in the land in which God had promised. But nevertheless, the same God who made that promise to Israel still reigns on the throne in heaven and still responds when his people come humbly before him and pray even today. It has been made clear that anyone who acknowledges God's name and accepts his son Jesus has the authority to pray with the same confidence of hearing and that is in this passage and other passages of the Bible that is explicitly extended to all who call upon the name of the law. In 2 Chronicles chapter 6, the 33rd verse, then hear from heaven where you live and grant what they ask you. In this way, all the people of the earth will come to know and to fear you, just as your own people of Israel do. They too will know that this temple has been built in your name. As we go through the text, I'm going to be talking about the temple that was built by King Solomon. It was a, a tremendous gift that Solomon and David, his father, wanted to present to God, but God allowed Solomon the opportunity and the blessing to do so. And the, the temple was a place where God was to meet his people, and his people were coming to worship God. It was uh, an Old Testament principle, but there is a new church that comes ushered in in the books of Acts where we become the church, where we become the temple of God. And so the things that I will talk about, the little physical temple, will apply to us as the temple of the Holy Ghost and the presence of God. So as we go through the text, I want you to be mindful that the temple, the temple, the temple that was built then and the temple that it is now, God feels the same way about it today. Are you with me? All right. So we should reflect on the ministry of Jesus and his disciples. They served and reached out to the most marginalized people of our society. They looked after widows and orphans. They fed the hungry. Uh, they ministered to those whose bodies was ravaged with disease. Jesus broke the race, the religious traditions by crossing racial lines as he encountered a, uh, a Samaritan woman and others. The church community, the Christian community, should have the greatest impact on our nation in terms of relieving homelessness, hunger, breaking through barriers of racial division in our country, lifting members of our society up out of poverty that are struggling in life. The church has sometimes shown the glimpse 
to having the ability to act like Jesus. Oftentimes, the church is the first responders when natural disasters come, like hurricanes, tornadoes, and floods, and fires. When they invade our cities, the church is there to provide relief for the families who have been affected by such devastation. And there are times that the church remains silent in the face of difficult situations. There seems to be a racial divide in this country than it, is, than it has ever been before. There seems to be the threat of violence is greater than it's ever been before. Our poorest communities, the achievement gap, are widening in our nations. The gaps between the haves and the haves not seems to be growing larger every day. If there is a call for unity for the body of Christ to come together, it is now. The book of Acts chapter 2 talks about how the original church was set up. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. I'm going verses 42 through 47. They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instructions of the apostles and to fellowship, to eating meals together, and to pray. A sense of awe felt by all, and many wonders and signs attested, attested miracles were taking place through the, through the apostles. And all of those who believed in Jesus Christ as Savior were together and all and, and had everything in common, considering their possessions to belong to the group as a whole. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing the proceeds with all of the believers and anyone else who had a need. Day after day, they met in the temple area and they were continuing with one mind and breaking bread in various private homes. They were eating their meals together with joy and generosity of hearts, praising God continually, having favor with all men. And the Lord kept adding to their numbers daily for those who were being saved. When the church is operating in the will and the power of God, and we are of one mind and one heart and one spirit, and the people began to see us display the love of God in our hearts, he will begin to add people to our family. The call is for unity. There needs to be unity in the church. Philippians 2 and 2 says this, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love and unity in spirit intended on one purpose, to elevate our Savior. The church is bickering. There's disunity among us. And Jesus said that the world would know who we are, who are his disciples, but how we love one another. It's all right to have a differing of opinion on non-essential matters like worship style, days of worship, pre-trib, post-trib, rapture, armistice, calvarist. Whether you believe it on one or the other, it does not affect salvation. Yet too many Christians use these non-essential differences as a justification for division. And sometimes it incites anger in people. When this occurs, 
When this occurs, the love of God in our hearts is sacrificed to our prize. Let me give it to you again. When this occurs, when we fall apart on non-essential things of the Scripture, our pride and our stubbornness being stuck in our denominational position, the love of God is sacrificed in our heart to our pride. Now let us work together to glorify our God and to expand his kingdom. Let us display an attitude of humility that helps bring unity. It is the devil that wants to keep us apart. It's the devil that wants us to continue in self-abuse and the division of bickering. So what is it, pastor, I hear you, what is it then, pastor, that unites us? Primarily, it is the saving work of Christ that unifies us. It is the blood of Jesus that was shed for the remission of our sins. And the true believer, serving the true and the living God, will know Jesus in a personal and an intimate way. We have been redeemed by God himself. And the body of the scriptures tells us the essentials of faith, the essentials of doctrine we must know to be united in him. The church community as a whole needs to repent. We need to look at ourselves. We need to look at our churches. We need to look at one another and decide, will we stand together in unity or will we stand and stay stuck in our denominational divisions? It is the enemy that wants us to be apart because when we come together, we are a powerful unifying force that can change our community and our country, but we cannot yield to the devil's scheme and trickery that keeps us divided. I'm in the book, about in the book of Romans chapter 14. In the same, same way, some think that one day is more holy than another day while others think that every day is alike. Watch this. You should each be fully convinced that whatever day you choose is acceptable. Go down to verse 10. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on other believers? Remember that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And, and those of us who are united by the blood of Christ are not enemies. I'm sure that one day, Pastor Eddie, when we stand before the throne of God, that all of our theology will be corrected in the presence of God. And so we need to see how we can work together to further the kingdom. The point is this. We need to be united and not bickering. We need to move beyond denominational, economic, socioeconomic, race, sex, and gender. They must not divide us. Our nation needs to be on the common ground that unites us, which is Jesus. I'm going to deal with the text this morning. The God of heaven gave the blueprint. He gave the resources. He raised up the men to accomplish a wonderful work in building his temple, the church. All of these things were to be testified 
of the true temple that was built by God. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 2. There he ministered in the, in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was, not, that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. God was the author, the initiator of all things. He wanted to bind human hearts together through his son. And he explained to the people how and why he did these things. Building his temple set the stage for the most glorious period of King Solomon's reign. He was blessed to present and to operate in God's presence and power. But because Solomon was asked a question by God, what could he do for him? And Solomon said, I need wisdom. And God was so moved by his, his response, he, he blessed him not only with wisdom, but money and power and fame. And so he wanted to honor God. And so he, he looked at how he could honor God. And so King Solomon could have done anything he wanted to do with his money. But what do you think he decided to do? Solomon loved God so much and was so grateful for the gifts. He decided that he would give a gift to God. And what kind of gift could he give God? He decided to use his riches to build God a house. And they called it the temple. And it would be in the place where people could come to worship God and where God could minister to his people. We call this kind of place the church. Look, the church is not this building. This is the place that we come to worship our God and for God to speak to our hearts. But we are the church. This temple, this temple was fabulous. It was marvelous. It was unbelievable. It was a huge job for Solomon to build this temple. But yet his heart was filled with so much gratitude. He wanted to honor God and he's, the people also helped him in building the temple. They gave, watch this church, they gave this to build the church. They gave of their time, their treasure, and their talents their treasures of gold and silver and precious stone, everything they had of value. Before the construction began, Solomon gathered together a huge workforce. Solomon selected 70,000 men to bear the burden of building the house of God. They quarried stones in the mountains. 3,600 men oversaw the construction. It was a lot of people to help build the temple. Some cut out stones from the ground and used to build the walls of the temple. Others made gold and gold stands and lamps. Still others carved palm trees and angels uh, into the wooden doors and on the walls of the temple. It took seven years to complete the temple of God. Not because it was a big building, but because it was so beautiful in every detail. Solomon had furnishings made for the house of the Lord an altar of gold, a table of gold, lampstands made, made out of pure gold. It was built on a hill that everybody could see it even from a distance. It had white stone and it sparkled in the sunlight. And inside of the temple, the walls and the floors were covered with pure gold. Cherubims and great angels alike stood with huge golden wings in a special room in the temple. And this room was called the most holy place. And the cherubims reminded the people of God's power. And on the walls hung huge tapestries with pure gold embroidered with silk thread and rich colors. Everything was perfectly made and only the best was good enough for God. 
And when the temple was finally finished, Solomon led a joyous parade of believers along with the Ark of the Covenant. And he placed it in the most holy place in the temple. And a huge crowd of people joined in on the parade. Everyone wanted to see the new and beautiful temple. And when it came to pass, the trumpets and the singers came as one sound to be heard in praising and thanking God. They lifted up their voices with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music and praised the Lord. And they were saying, he is good and his mercy endures forever. Amen. The house of the Lord was filled with God's, with a cloud. And the cloud indicated God's presence in the temple. The presence of God was so powerful in the temple that the priest couldn't even continue to minister. And when they finally placed the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy, the whole temple got filled with a golden cloud of God's presence. And Solomon stood in front of the temple and prayed to God. And he said to all of the children of Israel, praise and thank God for his goodness and his mercy for enabling them to complete such an important job. Church! God has enabled us to do an important job to go out and be a witness for the kingdom. Watch what God said about the temple, the church, us. He says, I have chosen this temple. I have set it apart to be holy. He said, I've made this temple, this church, to be a harbinger of my name forever. He said, I will always stand over it, for it's dear to my heart. But God answers to Solomon's prayer was not an unqualified promise to just bless the temple under any circumstances. Watch what he says in verse 19. But if you and your descendants abandon me and disobey the decrees and commandments, I have given you. If you serve and worship other gods, then I will uproot this temple from this land that I have given them. He said, I will reject this temple that I have made to honor my name. I will make it an object of mockery and ridicule among the nation. Look, church, the church is acting so powerless Folks are asking on a national scale, whatever happened to the church? Where's the presence of the church today? Folk are looking at the church and they are ridiculing the church because we don't have a presence in stuff that really matters. The religious community used to determine who sat in the White House. And now folks are saying, where did the power go? And here's the answer. And the answer will be because his people abandoned the law. The God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt. And you know Egypt is merely a type of the world that God has saved us from. And they began to worship other gods and bow down to them. 
And so God brought disaster on him. He said that there will be famine and pestilence and even, even war. And the locusts the locust will be their enemies who will come in greedily and destroy the land. If Solomon or his descendants turned away from God and forsook his word, then God promised to chastise and discipline Israel, and he will do the same thing for us. When the church is no longer in the place that brings honor to God and worship and service to him, he will chasten us so severely that other nations will be astonished of our God who his people had disobeyed. But I like the text because the text says, church, I got the answer and the solution you need. And I love that about God. He never leaves us short. When we mess up, when we blow it, we get outside of his wheel. He doesn't become first in our life. He says, but look, I got a promise for you. It's in the 14th verse. He says, then if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, he says, I will hear from heaven and I will, be, and I will forgive their sins. And watch this. And I will restore their lands. And then watch God. He says, and my eyes will be open again, and my ears will be attentive to every prayer made to me. He said, because I have chosen this temple, I have set it apart to be holy. And he says, and I will forever watch over the temple of God. <laughs> Brother Clint, all we've got to do and stop bickering with one another and start trusting God, standing on the essentials of the doctrine that Jesus saved whoever shall come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is the great unifier. He is the one that delivers us out of all of our struggles. He is the one that brings peace to our community, peace to our streets. He is the one who can change our very circumstances. Bless his name. Bless his name. Bless his name. I know sometimes church, it's hard to get by. Come on, Brother Clint. It's hard to get by our isms that separate us. I know it's hard to look at a brother and find a reason to agree with him and not hate him. But that's why God sent his son. He sent his son to whomsoever will, let him come. Whether you know it or not, the church is under attack. The enemy is trying to steal our liberties and our freedoms. Come on, y'all. Come on. We have to come together. In the name of Jesus, and allow him to rule and to reign, watch this, over his house.
that we show him that we are his people who believe and trust in the power of an almighty God. We are nothing but frail, weak humans who have limited power on our own. But in him and through him, he gives us all power. And so we're going to open the doors of the church for whomsoever will. If you don't know him, there's room at the cross for you to come and to give your life to him. I got news for you this morning. Your church attendance won't get you into heaven. The money you put in this basket won't get you to heaven. No matter how hard you love your family, won't get you into heaven. There's one way. That's Jesus, his son. And he's calling you today. Salvation has come to this house. As the band plays, won't you come? Won't you come? Acknowledge Jesus Christ as your savior. Maybe you've been on a, a rough road. Maybe things have been difficult in your life. You can come and repent and ask God to give you a fresh start. We serve a God of a first, second, and a third chance. Whomsoever will, let him come. Let him come to the altar of God and receive Jesus as Lord.